Joel. Yes. How are you doing? Pretty good. You doing okay? I think so. You sure? Well, it's a little stressful. The kids are back in school. That's not fun. Hey, so um, Chariot uh, Developer News, episode number 90. Wow. For, um, let's see, it's Monday, September 22nd, 2014. I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Joel Confino. And I have to open up my actual dev news calendar because I don't have it on my computer. I am running for the very first time, Joel, uh, since I left the Windows environment in, I'm going to call it 2007. Uh, the very first time I am running my own Windows desktop. What? Yes. Uh, I'm actually running on a Microsoft Surface Pro 3. This is madness. It is. It is. And you know why I'm doing that? Why? Because I'm mean. <laughs> mean to who? I'm mean to myself. Um, <laughs> so you've, you've ditched your MacBook. Well, I, I don't want to give it back. Um, <laughs> so now it's just a Quake server like all your other old servers? <laughs> Chariot, um, we are going to use it as a big Quake server. Um, Unreal Tournament, I think, actually will be even better. I guess Minecraft server is what all the kids are doing. Yeah. Now. It'll be sitting here plugged in constantly, I think, is what we're going to do. And, I mean, when I do training, it's just nice to have one thing. And I'm noticing I'm taking a lot of notes uh, on my Galaxy Note uh, Notepad tablet. And then I sit there and say, you know, it really should be a computer. Let's try to make it a computer. So you get it tricked out. You get a mouse. And on Android, you can get a mouse pointer when you start using the mouse. And, you know, oh, I better have, you know, a good keyboard. So I get a USB keyboard. And I try to get a terminal and I forget it. You know, you can get a terminal, but you're restricted in, in you know, a very small amount of memory in Androidville and nothing's allowed to be done. Uh, then you try to download an Android operating system. And that's a joke because it doesn't work on your hardware. So I said, the hell with it. I need one device that's not just a computer, not just a tablet. And I looked at the Surface and saw that it has this beautiful Bluetooth pen and has a nice little writing system built into it. And it's a laptop and it's a tablet. And I pulled the trigger on it. I have to say, it is pretty impressive the way you described it. The This is the way I market. <laughs> you know really it's 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 lovely you're gonna love it um have you ever tried wearing plastic <laughs> but you know so I, I of course if i could take something with the form factor of a tablet and do all my work you know all my development work or whatever that would be awesome i mean i'm just waiting for the day when um that kind of thing comes out and i guess you're saying that the surface that, is pretty much here that day is now if you're okay with Microsoft Windows. And I'm okay with Microsoft Windows, I'll say that. And I, I know that I was listening, you know, I got myself set for this crazy impulse buy by listening to, there's like a, a Surface Geeks podcast. And the guy on that started off by getting himself an i7. And he had, a, a, I guess, an original Surface, maybe even an RT. He was a real geek with this stuff, like we are with Macs and other things. So then he had a Surface Pro 2 that he used as a workhorse machine. It was an i5 um, and, you know, loved it. And he traded in for the i7 Surface Pro 3, and when it got hot, it throttled CPU too much. Oh. So he gave up on it, and then he went all the way back to the i3 because he wanted a low-power device. Mm -hmm. And his point was, I don't use it as a server. I just use it as a, a tablet slash PC, and I don't expect to beat the heck out of it. So it serves my purposes, but I try to make the i7 do everything. So clearly these devices aren't yet ready to be a complete laptop replacement for everybody. But I walk around, I write notes all the time in handwritten note tools and put diagrams and sketches around and keep track of people's names and training classes. I just need a place to quickly write something on a screen. You press the back of the thing and instantly a screen pops up and it takes a note and stores it. Nice little feature. And you can take the keyboard off and walk around with it like a tablet. Or if you want to throw the keyboard on, you don't have to reboot or anything. You just snap it on and you start typing. The mouse is reasonable, the, the trackpad. 
So you can do a lot with it. You can make that your one traveling machine, and that's basically what I'm going to do. So. And uh, I will say, having poked around with this and looking at you demoing a little bit before we started here, the most I was pretty impressed that you are running Windows on this thing, which looks like a tablet, but really is plugged into monitors. So it's it's really a laptop in a tablet form factor right. that you're running VirtualBox, that you're running Ubuntu inside of that, and that you're able to work reasonably well inside Ubuntu, inside a VirtualBox. Check with me in a week. Yeah, inside of a Surface tablet, yeah. all running on Larry Ellison's boat. <laughs> so, Somewhere in undisclosed just a, location. Just another another element, another layer of virtualization. <laughs> so we have a lot of things. We we take took a long uh, break from the dev news, and we actually even tried to record it last week, but Ken didn't know how to press the record button, um, and that is me. So um, so we're gonna go and redo Dev News ninety with a little bit of uh, notes from what would have been Dev News ninety one as part of Dev News ninety. Um, let's start off with a, a, a bit on patent war um, fallout. So, Joel, I know we uh, talked about patents a billion times here. Uh, it looks like we might be getting to the point now where uh, software patents are starting to fall apart, some of them. Yeah, that is that is actually going to be great for innovation. Absolutely. So the headline, this is on a website called Vox.com, V-O-X.com. Uh, this is on September 12th uh, by Timothy B. Lee. Um, software patents are crumbling thanks to the Supreme Court. And so, you know, this, this uh, article goes through and discusses um, – you know, the June ruling on patentability of software. Turns out software is how long? It's like 60, 70 years that, that people have written anything on a computer. Um, 33 years ago was the last time that we actually had a patent ruling on software. Wow. That just seems crazy to me. Yeah, because you hear about like patent trolls and companies that collect patents. But yeah, you would think that that would end up in the courts more. It's been a furtive uh, minefield of fun for patent trolls uh, until apparently now. Um, and so Alice versus CLS Bank, uh, it basically killed a software patent. But the reasoning of the decision was labeled as kind of abstract by some people. Uh, and there was not a lot of clarity about what patents are in danger. And this was kind of paraphrasing his first paragraph. But what happens with the Supreme Court ruling is, you know, it, the ruling happens and then all the lower courts look to all the rulings that have happened in the past to make decisions for their next cases. And that's what's starting to happen. So there have been about, as he's saying, about 11 court rulings of the patentability of software since this decision, and including six that were decided this month. And every single one of them, as he says, has led to the patent being invalidated. Isn't that interesting? That is pretty, that is actually in the great, um, in a good direction. Yeah. One of the things he he points out is that uh, anywhere in the 1990s and early 2000s, the patent office and the patent office is only as good as the people doing the patent, you know, uh, work, uh, and they were doing a lot of uh, a, a granting of patents of things that would be done other places, but decided to be done on a computer. And that didn't sound like English. Let me try that again. <laughs> so they're called do it on a computer patents. You know, like the, uh, you know, flip a light switch on a screen. Well, let's patent that. Yeah, right? yeah, those are crazy. I'd like, like to patent the flashlight. <laughs> Place an order. Oh, wait, no one's ever placed an order besides on your website before. When you push this thing on the side inward, the power goes on. Patent that. It's called the electronic button. <laughs> I mean, come on. So he has a couple of these listed, for example. He's got about oh, a lot of them, actually. On uh, August 26th, the Federal Circuit rejected a patent to claim the concept of running a bingo game on a computer. That was a patent? <laughs> hey, rounded corners. Wasn't that one of Apple's? Managing the game of bingo consists solely of the mental steps which can be carried out by a human using pen and paper, the court ruled. Yeah, duh. Yeah, it's just insane that any of these stuff got patented in the first place. Yeah. It shows you that, like, obviously once, you know, 
basically that these systems, whatever, whoever decides whether something should be patented, they just were not ready for software and they haven't been for years. And nope. And uh, let's see, in a second September 3rd decision, a Delaware trial court rejected a patent on the concept of an intermediary selectively revealing information about two parties to each other using a computer. Huh? Court noted that it would have been long common for corporate headhunters to withhold certain information about an employer from potential employees and vice versa until both parties were ready to succeed. That was a patent on telling a secret. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> what? Escrow is a new concept. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's one of them too. So bottom line is that, that a fair number of these basic on a computer but normal concept things are going to hopefully be invalidated. No, it's great. And I mean, I'm you know involved in a startup and you know one of the things you fear is somebody will patent something that's blazingly obvious, but then that once you have any modicum of success, they'll try to come after you for that. And that's a horrible practice that I hope we're going to stamp out. Seth Godin, Unlocking the Sky, I've mentioned a couple times before. Uh, Michael Tiemann mentioned it when he did a keynote for us at ETE in 2011 or 2012. Uh, it's about basically in the 19 teens, it's about Orville and Wilbur Wright, who you think were fine, upstanding gentlemen who invented flight all on their own if you read the history books. But the history books are not correct because they actually put a patent out on flight. And the, the, the process of, of having the curved wing and everything, that was patented by them. And they locked down the flying industry for the first 10, 15 years until that patent finally sunsetted. And then we had an actual you know, uh, airline industry. Hmm. But people couldn't do anything. It would sue them. Hmm. So the same kind of thing. So it's, it's good to see the American justice system turn the wheels, even if they're very slow, back towards rationality here. And what makes sense to patent? Sure, by all means, if it's a truly unique idea, go ahead and patent it. But if it's something that's like, you know, I learned how to flip a switch and now it's going to be a patented piece of, you know, concept for the eye cheese, you know, it's not worth it. There are so tr- fewly true unique ideas out there. It's staggering. Just ask my wife. All my jokes <laughs> are truly not unique. All right. Um, let's see. Why, this is a funny one. Um, why you should not implement layered architecture. And this is a blog, um, juke.com, J-O-O-Q.org. Sorry, blog.juke.org. Um, and I think it's flame bait. So the best I can say is that it's flame bait. Um, and if not, it's it's kind of the pendulum swinging one ver- you know, way and then the other. So we've all been on projects where we worked with a certain developer and that developer said, oh, you want to use my API? Well, here's the 16 different layers you have to work with. And then you look at them and go, you've just built job security for yourself. <laughs> right. This is exactly that. So there's an image in this, and I, I do get a kick out of this picture. Uh, it's from Geek and Pokes Footprints, and it's Creative Commons 2.0 picture. And it's uh, a statement from a guy on the right looking at this diagram of the guy on the left and it says we gave up finding proper names to the layers long ago since then we just named them after their architects so it starts out <laughs> db persistence business logic business processes business rules transformation transport uh david mark judy john <laughs> so i'm with him on that if if you have 95 business layers and the code ain't one i i think it's ridiculous <laughs> right um but i think that you know he's basically saying why even bother with any layers he, his statement is that you know insurance you take it this way you go to insurance person you buy insurance they usually try to scare you in the highest amount of insurance right god forbid anything could happen to you your family would be destitute in a quarter after they pay for your fifty thousand dollar burial and you have nothing left right so um he's saying that it's the same thing when have you ever changed your you know uh you know your database layer or when when have you not changed your or when have you changed your persistence layer or you know you go from ejbs to spring and that's why you build a layer. I buy a little of that, but I think what's not 
stated here is that there's the lessening of code for not doing things that happen over and over again. Like JDBC drivers, right? You have to do like eight things to get a connection to go give you a statement back with a list of data, right? Because you have to load the driver, you know, log in, create the statement, because uh, I create the connection, prepare the statement, execute the statement, go next, 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 and close everything properly. Spring has JDBC template. You could call that part of a database layer. Why do I want to write 95 lines of code I don't need to write? Sure. And I think layers give you, obviously, abstraction lets you yep. group things together that change together and are related together and have cohesion. So if I want to change it, I can change the guts of that. And as long as I have a slightly more abstract version above it that comes back as data and request, they shouldn't care what it's implemented in. Yeah, but I think blindly, obviously, just blindly throwing in layers because you read some kind of blueprint document that said you should have, you know, this five layers in your layer cake is certainly, you know, it's kind of the recipe for disaster in software is to make any decision based on without actually thinking it through. It depends. Yeah, exactly. There was one really funny post, and I probably won't be able to find it on here. Um, I think it was like third from the top. Well, it was then. Um, oh. <laughs> it was some joke. That like was last week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like basically, yes, you're right. We shouldn't use layers. And so I'm always going to write all this code in assembler and toggle switches and you, the PDP. What, do you have it there? You want to read it? Sure. Uh, I agree. My first programming experience was with switches on a machine with 256 bytes of memory. And you have to physically open and close connections to write the program. Everybody should do that. None of this abstraction. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's I figured I'd put that in there for humor content. I think he is kind of slightly baiting uh, people who do just a small amount of layering. But for the large one, it is crazy. Um, hey, there's a Angular JS is very popular right now. Um, we constantly get requests for it. Um, my training is going crazy. Um, however, of course, you know you look at the whole um, what is the thing called that has the trough of disillusionment? It's the the adoption hype cycle, the hype curve, right? That was a Gartner thing years ago, and it you know it starts off where people flip out over technology, and you get the early adopters, and then suddenly it kind of crests a wave of lots of people really loving it from the beginning, and then it goes down towards the trough of disillusionment, which is where <laughs> everyone goes, oh, this isn't supposed to bake bread in two seconds, right? <laughs> so we're in that mode now, and then what happens after that is we kind of come back up, and then the people who really want to use the technology do, and the rest of us move on and look at some other piece of hype, right? Um, Angular is really getting to that point where people are starting to write about their negative uh, uh, issues with it. Uh, This is ThoughtWorks, actually, of all people, all groups, it's ThoughtWorks. They were working on an application, and actually, it's I think it's the radar, yes, the interactive tech radar, and they were using AngularJS to do that. Um, Their background was they had a Ruby, Sinatra, and plain old JavaScript stack, um, there was a nice little write-up on that uh, platform by Andy Robinson, one of the people in ThoughtWorks. Um, and they then went through and tried to add Angular to it and make it a single-page JavaScript app instead of a multi-view, multi-page application. And what they found was just a lot of pain in the way that their stack is put together trying to integrate Angular in. One of the areas they talk about is testing. Right? They talk about using Capybara, which is a, uh, a, a Ruby gem that does, I guess, uh, uh, Selenium test drivers and runs Selenium tests in like the R spec style, and um, they had a whole hard time like fitting that in and, and grokking how Protractor would work instead. And then they said, "Well, you know, we would like to still use Capybara." So they found a project called Capybara Angular, who figured right um, that could do things that way, uh, and they didn't like the Angular way for things. You know, that was their whole thing is they they just didn't like using things in the Angular way. Um, what they thought was that. They, we shouldn't have to subvert the way we normally write code just to put it in Angular. 
Yeah, I mean, it's that's a valid argument. I just think yeah. their their out their conclusions that somehow that makes Angular flawed is, um, I think, incorrect. I think I personally think the frameworks are good. You just have to find one that you share the same philosophy with with a lot of things because basically you're saying we're going to let somebody else you know handle a lot of the plumbing. Well, you have to agree with them. I and mean, there's a million ways to do anything like that comment from before you could all just you know we could just write this stuff in assembler too so you know you yeah. you kind of have to and um so so anyway i can see why they they run into problems and i think this is maybe these are uh, you know a group of developers whose preferences lean more towards a bunch of loosely coupled libraries and that's how they like to work which there's a fair number of people out there that do that and, and those are generally the people that have the strongest negative reaction to angular and probably would to something like ember as well definitely ember's even a i mean they claim and to be even more um prescriptive than angular um and yeah. and frankly that i like you know <laughs> if you like the way they do things then it's like great here's all the things i don't have to worry about today and if you don't then just you, yeah you really got to find another framework you know another interesting thing they brought up is uh um, they, they have one of the business requirements is for our site to be available for non-JavaScript users. Yeah, that makes a JavaScript framework a little bit of a problem. Yeah, because I mean, they talk about that, um, what do they call it, uh, progressive enhancement or regressive unenhancement, really, yeah. is the less JavaScript features you have and HTML5 features you have, you know, degrade, 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 down to nothing. Yeah, I mean, once you're talking about no JavaScript, though, I mean, that's a whole other world. I don't, I don't think that's even... A very, and I think, uh, yeah, a I very think, common requirement. Uh, right. And I think I know that the issue they have, of course, it's Gartner. I'm not, I'm, <laughs> sue me. Don't sue me. Uh, it's it's uh, ThoughtWorks, right? So ThoughtWorks, they put their information out there, and I'm sure they have other companies spidering in and you know pulling that data up for Google searches. So they need all that stuff to come in, and that is an issue yeah. with Angular. You do have to go out of your way to make views and alternate views that are indexable by your indexing tool. Yeah, and that actually seems, I haven't done a big Angular project, but that seems like that would be significant for anything that, if you're using Angular to build an application, just like you would use VB to build an application, or you would have like 20 years ago, um, you know, then that makes sense. I'm building a desktop application and I'm doing it in JavaScript, but if you're using Angular to create a content-based site, which HTML is, then maybe they they pick the wrong technology just because of the search search engine capability. I do think that there is an issue with single-page apps in general and indexing because sure. it's these are all like special things at the end of like a jump link you can't really you can't crawl it right you can't crawl it. so you do have to come up with a strategy to make your own little representation of what to crawl and so that's where the challenge comes in it just kind of depends on your app like how yeah. could you could you crawl like a cell i mean you know it doesn't even make any sense like <laughs> well i could <laughs> you know there's no it isn't it isn't content i have it on here it's an yeah. application i'm sure your surface 3 could do that it, I it, it could crawl it. yeah yeah if you fire up excel it would crawl yeah <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh, they're all going to kill me today. Um, anyway, so that's that one. And again, that's from ThoughtWorks, and we'll post the link to that one. Um, and by the way, our show notes page is at chariotsolutions.com slash devnews, and this is episode 90. All right, next thing's next. Who's watching The Watchmen? Uh, this is actually a little far back, um, but you may want to make sure that your password managers are up to date. We found this over the summer, and I, I bookmarked it. Severe password manager attacks steal digital keys and data en masse. And so you could read this article, but I think it's probably out of date by now. And this is from Ars Technica. Let's just suffice it to say that there are a fair number of vulner vulnerabilities in these single password tools that it, they could be uh, subject to cross-site scripting attacks. Yeah, this was like LastPass and RoboForm and basically the web-based ones. Yeah, the web-based ones, exactly. They're on a web page. And because they're doing essentially that, they're, they're jumping from place to place and implementing a password paste, essentially. Um, yeah, so it's, it's dangerous. Um, so I would just say that if you're using any of those, 
password box, RoboForm, my one login, need my password, um, LastPass, um, <laughs> and I guess that's those are the ones they mentioned. Uh, you should check and make sure you have the most recent version and check this article we post a link to to make sure that they're not suspect uh, of having these particular vulnerabilities. We're definitely in the era where passwords no matter where, are not good enough. Two-factor, I mean, right? That's yeah, what you were yeah, saying when we did this the last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. two-factor two where you get a some kind of text message, it gives you a, a login code or something, is definitely needed. And um, I think all these companies are going to have to move quickly. I mean, they just had uh, Home Depot just was uh, a, announced that they, I think it was 54 million uh, credit cards were compromised there. So they're actually like dwarfing the, the well publicized target breach it's just it's almost every month another retailer loses you know millions of credit cards and um that has nothing to do with passwords actually that's a different topic but, well, but, it's, but it's, all, it's all kind of related Everything's so online now yeah you know and if you break in and steal someone's password you can get to all their credentials and all yeah. their stuff so. so things like two-factor and things like apple pay when it comes out where you're not giving anybody your actual credit card information that's intriguing that yeah. really is and i yeah. hope that more companies come up with i hope they didn't patent it <laughs> yeah, they probably did. But seriously, yeah. the, the fact that they're you know that they're storing your credit card information in their database, I mean that's a bum deal all the way around. Yeah, truly. Um, yeah, and that Apple Pay, we're going to actually have a, an interview. I'm doing it in about an hour and a half, two hours with um, Steve Smith, who's our mobile director, and you know mobile development director. And he went to the Apple show, um, to their developer show, and also has a lot to say about some of this stuff. So it, it's interesting. They're really pushing in the forefront of the e-commerce side and hopefully the rest of them come along with them. Yeah. And it's interesting that Apple's going to make a lot of money off of that. So, no. so there's money. Be, right. I know that part's not surprising, but they're actually taking transaction fees for, for that. And that just shows you this is a big enough problem that, you know, that people are it. willing to pay. Well, it's not going to be the consumer. It's actually going to be somewhere in the middle. And I think it's the merchant. And when you figure how much they probably already, uh, chalk up to fraud and things, it it's could probably worth it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, next one. Um, I'm going to do Minecraft next. Wired. Uh, Wired.com article. Microsoft buys Minecraft. That's you why you have a, a Surface rock. 3. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is actually. Um, no, I hate Minecraft. <laughs> I love Minecraft. Oh, I can't take it. I think it's awesome. Well, it's funny. It's one because of, I'm jealous, actually. It's, it's that I love it. No, I don't. I hate it. <laughs> because it's written in Java and it has crappy graphics. And I can write stuff in Java with crappy graphics, but I didn't think of this. So Notch... Uh, apparently hasn't been working on Minecraft for a number of years. Um, he's been kind of top level managing it, but that's it. Over at uh, uh, where is this company? It's Mojang. 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 So Mojang um, was just bought by Microsoft, and the leaders of the company are leaving. Like any good purchase, right? For, for and given the purchase price, not five that billion was it? Two, I think. Two okay, two, two or still, two point five billion. The B. It's it's with a billion billion dollars. Yeah, it's it's a really nice two point five billion uh, sale. They don't know what the future of Minecraft is, and they're open about that on their blog. They're just like, well, we know that it's here now, and we know that they intend on working on it, but we don't know what the actual plans are for Minecraft. So uh, who knows what's going to happen with Minecraft, but I think they got them for the programmers and for their infrastructure, and you know, what was I mean, your take on that? Well, I mean, they're a really, really tiny team. I mean, they like very small, and um, they've actually... Uh, their development on Minecraft itself has been very, very little because they have such a tiny team, but it's really exploded because it has open APIs and people have modded it and hacked it. Um, even before it had APIs, they would just hack it by by reverse engineering the source code and stuff. I don't know what Microsoft's going to do with it, except, you know, they with the Xbox and things, they do have a gaming catalog. Yep. You know, they have, they're in that 
you know, business. And obviously they want to do it to, you know, um, make themselves look cooler and more appealing to younger people. So maybe we'll have Minecraft brand. I was just going to yeah. say on the surface. Yeah. Yeah. Minecraft I mean, for surface RT. Sure. Cause how many students would buy that for five bucks? Yeah. No, absolutely. millions. Yeah. And, and because the Minecraft team has not been able to move quickly, it's there possible that the, the Microsoft says, Hey, they have whatever they have, which it, for a long time, honestly, it was like three people. I think maybe now, maybe it's like six who develop or something like, Hey, we're going to put like a hundred people on it. And of course I'm worried they're going to destroy it. And like, what are the odds that they're going to keep a Mac version? Cause right Zero. now, yeah, none. So, um, wait, it is, wait, it is this, Java based. This just is, came in. Yeah. This just came in. Flappy bird bought by Microsoft for 80 billion. <laughs> I know. You know, Amazon or Apple buys Beats. I mean, we we just see what happens when yes. when upper management gets old. They have to appeal to younger people and they have to find out, find ways to do it. And I guess if you can't be cool, you just buy somebody who is cool. I'm assuming that, that people won't listen to both of the podcasts, so I'm going to do this to you now. I understand you got an iPhone uh, iPhone 6. I did. At 6 Plus, as a matter of the fact. The 6 Plus. The, the supersized phone. Yes. Um, and I, I, people used to make fun of me for my Samsung Galaxy Note 3. We were in a status meeting this morning. The sales guys all had their iPhone 6. And they put mine up to it. It wasn't that much smaller. Yeah. It really wasn't. So yours is going to be the size of Earth, right? Because <laughs> I got the plus. I'm getting a little nervous. I've it's seen like the, the lava six. field in Iceland. It's like 80 miles long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so is, it because, is it because the developers there are now over 40? <laughs> that's my theory because I couldn't read an iPhone. That's why I went to Android. That's you know that's one of the reasons I'm getting it because the six plus has a ginormous screen. Now What's that I'm that seeing sunny? his tablet, I'm getting kind of uh, afraid. But his tablet is I like tablet. fabulous. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the, you know, I, iOS eight or the iPhone six plus has a large screen, and you can either use that to get more rows of icons, or you can put it in a mode where it just makes everything bigger. So it's the exact same dimensions as the five, but it's just like, you know, it's the giant, it's hideously large it's the giant remote that you could buy in the drugstore. <laughs> and I'm excited to get it. Does it have backup lights on it and goes, I'll finally be able to read things on my phone instead of having to pretend in Starbucks. All right, let's see. Let's wrap these up here. So we have, uh, uh, Hey, let's talk about the software patent duck. Um, <laughs> Apple has a software patent and that software patent, I have to remember, it's a new unlock thing, uh, to lock out people who, whose behavior it doesn't recognize. Yeah. Machine learning. Everything's machine learning now. It really is, isn't it? So if I suddenly decide to go to some other website and maybe I wore this crazy little Hawaiian shirt and it says, that's not normally Ken, what's wrong with him? Lock me out. <laughs> you know, it's I what guess, if you're bipolar? What if you have two different personalities? What if I'm just you have children? I, yeah, what if you have children? You <laughs> they grab your phone and just like start mashing buttons. Minecraft, <laughs> right? I do like the general gist. Like this is the scary part, but they know obviously where you live, right? So they know they have location <laughs> services. They know where the phone hangs out. So if the phone normally hangs out somewhere near Philadelphia, and now it's like you know hanging out in Chicago or something, you know, and it's doing strange things like accessing every bank account quickly. Yeah, why not have it? Have it. That's what credit card companies do. At least show you the locks. You're right. I mean, the anti-fraud stuff is old. It's basically like virus scanning. Yeah, you look for patterns, and if this doesn't fit the pattern, we just take you to the lock screen. Um, probably interesting. Not nuts about the fact that it's patented. Yeah, me what's, either. What's so patented about anti-fraud? Hasn't that been around? It describes forever? a method for locking a device or asking users for proof of identity if the device detects a pattern of usual behavior. And you couldn't do that on a phone when your credit card company calls you and goes, "Joel, you're in Home Depot." 
you're not very handy, man. Uh, Why are you buying uh, a saw, man? You're going to hurt yourself. I'm not Joel. Oh, I am Joel. Yeah. <laughs> Beep. Yep, exactly. Go back right. to Starbucks. So anyway, so that's, yeah, I need to go. TechCrunch, uh, and that was an article. That was back in July. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see if this one gets uh, sticks around or if it gets challenged. Yeah, I would like to see it in, uh, I would like to see the feature, though. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, we have two more things in here. Um, potential downside of the Internet of Things. So someone came up with, you know, it was, it was a matter of time, right? Uh, the Internet of Things, the security vulnerabilities of connected devices. Um, you know, a lot of these things just have simple sockets you write on. Some even have little SSH servers and things like that. And they probably all have default passwords that are empty or something silly like that. Oh, I totally believe it because, you know, they've done vulnerability studies of, you know, wireless routers and things that you would think people would know better. And companies like Linksys and Cisco would actually secure but so many devices that have you know like some lame ftp server that's not secured embedded in them and things and so when all of a sudden your toaster and your washing machine and everything can you know now is on the network the the ability for people now you're going to have to and hope that all of those vendors so you know the guys who are really good at building you know whirlpool washers or yeah. whatever do you think they're going to actually be really good at software vulnerabilities when linksys isn't no you know <laughs> no, no, no 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 not no. a chance so yeah for the truly paranoid you're going to have to have like a network that you just run like your appliances on <laughs> and then the, the super secret network right. that you never let them talk to wi-fi routers <laughs> will come with the appliance network which is completely locked down <laughs> right yeah, it's and, and it's not like those things. I mean, how they're going to get software patches rolled out and all that things. Every so when you have a lot of computers, now you got to worry about keeping them all up to date. All right, I think that'll probably do it for us. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on this other Angular one three article for next week because I want to spend some time on it. But uh, okay, so that's it for the dev news. We finally broke through the uh, summer right before the first day of fall. Yes. We are back again, and we will stay back all the way through the year except for the day of Christmas, because I am not going to be podcasting on Christmas. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's it. So to get the dev news, you can always go to iTunes, uh, or you can you can search for it uh, online and do an RSS feed. We are at cherrysolutions.com slash dev news. The links are all there. Show notes are all there. Uh, while you're at it, take a look at our other uh, items, such as our blogs and our screencasts from the Philly Emerging Tech Conference, which we're up to at least 30 of them now. Uh, and there's some really big names and really interesting talks on there about all sorts of open source and emerging technologies. So I encourage you to check it all out. So that's it. So for the developer news, I'm Ken Ripple. I'm Joel Confinement. Make it a good week.